Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathrum. It's 2021 and we are excited. We've got multiple episodes coming at you over the next couple of months, a couple of different series. We've got a COO series coming up, women's leader series coming up, nonprofit series. And as always, we hope that we're bringing you a value and we really appreciate all of the responses that you guys have given us. I've taken a look at some of the reviews and just really appreciate all the kind words that everyone has provided back. Please remember, if you haven't already, to rate, review, subscribe. Uh, I do want to take a second here to tell you guys that we are also available on the Notecast app. Notecast is a podcast listening app that allows you to take notes directly from the podcast. So if today's episode you're listening in and there's a book recommendation or there's a quote or there's something that you find valuable that you want to make sure that you remember and maybe you're driving, maybe you're running, maybe you're sitting somewhere and you're unable to write it down, you can simply tap the screen. It'll clip that, make a note, and also transcribe it into text for you as well. So you don't have to write anything down. You have a clip of exactly what you heard and then you have the text that go along with it. So Notecast is available on both Apple and Google Play Store. So check out Notecast and, uh, you know, send us an email. Let us know if you like it or not. Yeah, let's get into today's episode. Today's episode is with Rahul Pandey. Rahul is the CEO of CollaborLink, based right here out of Tyson's. And Rahul just shares with us openly and honestly how he took this small family-owned company and it was predominantly doing commercial work and he grew it into a federal contracting company that now has more than 300 people Uh, but it wasn't easy and there were there were moments and ups and downs and growth opportunities and he just opens up with all of that and any entrepreneur any leader out there would really appreciate his conversation in addition to CollaborLink he shares with us his personal journey with uh, just trying to be the best version of himself that he can and how he does what he calls mental hygiene Uh, mental hygiene, keeping the windshield wipers on the mind, number of different practices. He started running triathlons, just an overall great story. And I'm really excited to bring that to you. So I don't want to take up any more time. I really appreciate everyone tuning in today and let's get into the episode. All right. And we're back with another episode of DC Local Leaders Podcast. Today, we are in the offices of CollaborLink. Our guest today is Raul Pandey. Raul is uh, is here with us today. How you doing? Hey, Phil. Or is it Phil or Philip? Uh, you know what? I introduce myself as Philip all the time, but oh, most yeah. people call me Phil. It's weird. <laughs> when I say my own name, I say Philip. Uh, <laughs> but then you go by Phil. And then I go by Phil. Interesting. Well, hey, I'm, I'm really happy to be here and yeah. uh, stoked, uh, stoked to do this with you. Yeah, thank you for, for making the time. I know you're busy, and um, I really appreciate you, you doing this. Uh, with us. I, I think I mentioned something to you about this podcast maybe more than a year ago. Yeah, um, man. We had a, we had a uh, random meeting at a corporate event uh, probably a year plus ago. And, yeah. and it sounds like that's when this idea was kind of still in uh, infancy stages for you. But yeah, you mentioned it to me and I was like, that's a fantastic fantastic idea to set up a podcast yeah yeah and it took me almost a year to convince myself that it was a good idea (laughs) and then i just picked up so it was literally in in just ideation stage at that point you hadn't you hadn't acted on anything you were just sort of like putting it out there as an idea yeah just putting it out to the universe and and really it was testing the idea on other people to see what their response was like hey what if i did this thing and what was the what was the range of reactions because i know when when you and i talked about it and I didn't even, I mean, I'd known you for all of like 45 minutes at that point. I was like, this is a fantastic idea. Like, you should absolutely do this. But what did, what did other people give you? Yeah, it, not everyone was that way, right? They're, oh, really? They, some, some people were like, yeah, try it out, see what happens. Or like, you know, but there's always the yeah, but people was like, yeah, but there's thousands of podcasts. I mean, like, there's people already doing that. Or like, yeah. um, so you're going to, I mean, I think that's with anything, right? Oh, and for and sure. it's fear. And, I, and that's a lot of what we want to talk about today. Right. Fear manis- manifests itself in our lives. 
lives and, and how to overcome that or, or how to work through that or just how to even recognize that? How do we become more aware? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll just say one last thing on that. I mean, I think that that, that theme of, yeah, but is sort of consistent um, throughout all of our journeys that when you're sort of going through your life, there's always going to be a crowd that has an opinion contrary to your sort of belief system, the yeah, buts or the, the naysayers. Um, and I think that that's, it's, it's awesome that you're sort of power powering through that. And, and, and you've, you've gone on to set this thing up. Well, I appreciate you saying it's been a journey. Yeah. Collaborlink. Mm -hmm. Um, you're the CEO of Collaborlink. How long have you guys been in business? So Collaborlink is a family owned business. Um, the company started in 2003. It was actually started by my dad. Uh, Yash Pandey, and he he set it up as sort of a, a sole proprietorship, kind of one man band, independent consulting kind of gig, and um, and it and he ran it that way, uh, you know, successfully uh, until about 2008, which is when I joined. So I came on board in 2008. I took the CEO seat, um, and the you know the the objective was let's grow this thing. Let's not have it be an independent consultancy. Let's, let's um, you know, try to build a business. And uh, so I came on board 2008 full-time, uh, uh, took over as CEO, and, uh, you know, here I am 12 years later still in that, in that same chair. So what kind of stuff do you guys do? What was he consulting, and, and what do you guys do? What, what yeah. So, so Collaborlink, it got our, we, we got our start uh, back in that 2003 time frame. We're operating the commercial sector. So the business and, and my background, um, so we started out of the, the suburbs of Chicago. And, you know, initially the work was my dad basically doing um, sort of gigs with his former employers where he was helping, you know, large IT, enterprise IT implementations. And he was doing program management. He was helping review processes and figuring out where bottlenecks were occurring. Um, and so sort of a, you know, a program manager uh, slash strategic advisor to these large enterprise uh, IT implementations at big Fortune 100 companies. So his first client was Motorola. Mm. And, and that heritage really sort of stuck for us. We basically had this, you know, commercial... Um, agile mindset you know when you when you operate in the commercial space and you're you're a little collaborlink and you're going up against accenture and tata consulting and and uh, satyam at the time you know you've got to be really nimble you got to be really agile you got to be willing to embrace em emerging technology um, and that's exactly what he did in that era is he just got really at the forefront of some new emerging technology that was sort of uh, nascent stages at that at that time uh, which which we now refer to as low-code, no-code software development. And he helped to kind of be a strategic advisor on programs of that sort in the commercial sector. So when I came on in 2008, the idea was, well, let's take all of that know-how, uh, that commercial know-how around implementing emerging tech and and bring it you know, uh, to, to the federal marketplace, which is, you know, sort of the, the division that I opened up, uh, and, and really apply that kind of commercial mindset in a, in a different sector. And that's, that's basically the, the spawn of how Collaborlink grew and, and, uh, and how we built the business. So you went from, from being a, a single person consulting firm to how many employees do you have now? So today we're three about 315, okay. uh, 315 employees. So yeah, when I joined my dad, he had had a, uh, jointly we, we worked together, we won a project at Motorola, and we hired about uh, two employees. So, you know, it was my dad and two other billable employees. I was pure business development and sort of pure growth. And uh, it was a really, really interesting time and, and sort of difficult time and not not so dissimilar from what we're going through now. Um, when I joined him in 2008, basically the economy collapsed. Within nine months, we went into the Great Recession. Uh, Lehman Brothers, first Bear Stearns collapsed, then Lehman Brothers collapsed, and that contract that we had at Motorola got um, terminated midstream. So Motorola basically said, sorry guys, we're, we're cutting all consultants. We gotta shut this thing down. Um, so we went from three employees back down to, well, we, we kept our staff, but we went to zero revenue, right. <laughs> um, basically in the blink of an eye. Um, 
and uh and yeah so that's when you know things got sort of really um challenging and and we really had to kind of figure figure out where we were going to go with the business and so you know that that's what uh, basically led me to the federal sector at that point so that was your pivot that yeah you know, hey we need we, you know the commercial sector we need to find something else to do and that's exactly right. There was no budget. No commercial right. entities had budget. And I'm right. sitting in Chicago and I'm looking at my bank account, the you know, the corporate bank account and I'm counting down the the weeks and months that we had left for payroll and everything yeah. else. Right? I mean, there was at one point I remember looking at it. I mean, we had maybe 6 weeks before we were going to be insolvent. Um and now luckily at that point I'd put down a lot of shoe leather in chasing federal work. Uh, and I, I was, you know, fortunate enough to hit a federal contract that I bid on um, that just immediately sort of turned our fortunes. But yeah, I mean, it it got pretty dire. And um, what yeah, kind of, I mean, what kind of stuff was going through your mind when you're when you're looking at these ledgers and you're looking at this balance sheet and you're you're those things that you're thinking about, like, you know, we've got, you know, four months left, six months left. I've got these employees that are. They yeah. have families. They're counting on me. Like, but I mean, what's that feel like? To you well, I'll tell you. You know, in retrospect, I can look back on it and I can say to you that there's no better motivator than poverty or yeah. than survival. Yeah. Right. This was just straight up survival instinct mode. Right. Yeah. It just kicks in. You just think to yourself, I have to do everything humanly possible right now to keep this business alive. And you know, what do I have to do to get to next week? What do I have to do to get to next month? Um, and that's the way you start thinking. And so in terms of what was going through in my mind, it was pure survival instinct. It was, you know, get your butt on a plane, get out to DC, meet with customers, meet with other vendors, uh, and kick and claw and scratch for anything you can grab and go get revenue. And that was basically what was going through my mind. It was, it was, uh, you know, Either do either do that or go find a job, you know, and yeah. I, I knew I didn't want to go find a job. I knew I didn't want to sort of go back to corporate. I knew I didn't want to, you know, um, yeah, I, I didn't want to have a boss again. I wanted to be right. an entrepreneur. I wanted to build my own business. And uh, and so it was really survival instinct and just just, you know, like I said, kicking, clawing and scratching for any bit of revenue I could generate, any bit of revenue I could find. And so, you know, like I said, in retrospect, you can say that it was uh, sort of a huge motivator, you know. Um, uh, I can't lie to you. I, mean, I was certainly worried at the time and certainly stressed about what might happen, what could happen. Um, but I tried to, like, I think in that when you're in that situation, you just go heads down and you just go straight into, like, getting it done basically yeah. sounds like you were at a jumping off point I, I talk about that with a couple other people and, and the way that i define that is just that a moment in time or uh, a scenario or a set of circumstances where you just you can't continue doing what you're doing yeah uh, but you're unsure of what to do next but you have to do something right and it sounds like you weren't going back to a corporate structure that's right you weren't doing that yeah. um and you mentioned something really powerful that you know there's no motivation like no alternative right right there's, right. You know, if you want to take the island, burn the boats. That exactly. That'll yeah. really light a fire under yeah. your under your. There's behind. no going back. But I actually, I mean, I you know, in terms of jumping off points, I feel like I had a couple. Um, yeah, and and one even prior to uh, that that point that I mentioned, where I had to go pivot to federal. Um, you know, I had a major jumping off point just making the decision to to sign up with Collaborlink, to join my dad, to take ownership of this business and to grow it. And I was a uh, post-MBA and I was working in a strategy consulting boutique uh, at the time called L.E.K. Consulting. And I'd, in Chicago? In Chicago. Okay. Yeah. And I'd been there for two years and I'd been cranking. I mean, just you know, working insane hours. I was doing a bunch of private equity, uh, strategic due diligence, and uh, I was just burnt. I was burnt out. And I, I had sort of been throughout my career for whatever reason conditioned to think that you have to sort of build this resume that leads you to some like elite blue blood, you know, sort of career. So I thought, oh, I'm going to do this strategy consulting thing. I got my MBA. Now I'm going to go into private equity. And I, I was really sort of um, steering my career in that direction. And like I said, you know, 
the economy was starting to falter in 2008, and I was interviewing at a bunch of private equity funds, and they were basically saying, hey, look, come back in a year. Things are a little bit weird right now. This was before you know, the banks had collapsed, but they'd already start to see credit markets seize up, so they just weren't doing any deals. And so I had to make a decision at that point. It was like either stay at LEK and you know continue to be miserable, which is what I was at that point. I was recently married. I was never home to spend time with my wife. I was just working like a dog. My decision was stay at LEK and, and continue to kind of make my way through this, this misery or do something else. And uh, that led me to this conversation about CollaboraLink. And that led me to this point where I had to, you know, make a call and take a risk. And in the end, I'm, I'm so glad I chose to sort of take that risk. I'm so glad I'm, I, you know, kind of took the leap. Uh, but that was the first jumping off point, yeah. right? even prior to, you know, this whole, uh, hey, we've got no revenue, go f- go figure it out yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So your experience of, you know, that thought process of here's the, the outline of what I need to do to be successful, go to school, do this, get a job in this that looks like this, and then do that, do the next thing and the next thing. How does that play into your company culture that you've set up here and your hiring? I mean, because you took an atypical path, right? Are you a little bit more forgiving when you meet people that have also done the same? Or, I mean, are you looking for, what do you look like? Do you guys hire for personality? Like, you know, I think I can work with this person and they're a hustler. Right. But they may not have the hard skills that you have or that you need. Like, what do you do? Yeah, so, I mean, well, so as it relates to company culture, uh, you know, it, it's such a sort of organic and intangible thing. It's really hard to put your finger on. Um, but we've talked about it for a long, long time as an executive team. And I think that that's the key to company culture is having sort of deliberate and intentional conversations around it as a as a senior leadership team. Um, because it, it's, really, it's really hard to sort of, you know... Um, you know, truly, absolutely steer it in a particular direction. But so long as you're, you're, you have intentionality around it, you can guide it. Um, and what I found is if you take your foot off that gas pedal, if you stop having intentionality around culture, if you stop having the conversations as a leadership team, it will go off in tangents. It will go off in a direction you perhaps don't intend. But to answer your original question, I mean, in relation to... Um, you know, the folks that we hire and sort of whether I look for a particular um, background or what have you. I mean, I, I, I would suggest that we are open-minded, right? I, I think that, you know, there are certain, you know, uh, roles that we're hiring for, developers and, and, and technical staff and things like that, where the the experience is, is um, you know, is relevant, Right, they've they've got to have the technical chops, um, but we're we're you know we're sort of less um, worried about the the pedigree of the resume. Mm. And I think what I you know when I grew up, sort of coming up, my my big focus for whatever reason was on resume resume and pedigree. Um, and I think that's okay, right? It didn't it didn't sort of lead me astray per se. It didn't hurt. No, it didn't hurt. But it was it was just. I, I don't know why it was um, instinct or reflex for me that, oh, you go to college and then you get a job with a big co- big company. That, like, that's what you do, right? And then you go to, you do that for a few years, then you get an MBA, and then, you know, you try to land at one of these, you know, kind of like high-flying, um, you know, name consulting firm or investment bank. And I sort of got caught up in that mode. And I think what my, my lesson learned is, is that's not the only path. There are other paths to success. You don't have to do that. And I think it, it worked out just fine for me, and I, I wouldn't change it. Um, but I, I think if I were talking to my younger self or if I was talking to, you know, when I, when I speak to college kids today, my lesson to them is, or my, my advice to them is, that's not the only path, right? right. You can use your 20s to, to try different things, to experiment, to be entrepreneurial, to not go join big corporate. You don't have to do that. That's not the you know, the only pathway to success. Um, in fact, I would argue that, you know, perhaps there are, there are more rapid pathways to success by trying to be an entrepreneur right from the jump and things yeah. like that. Now it's a, it's a scary leap to make, but, but anyhow, um, those two things, culture and sort of, you know, uh, pedigree and things like that, I think are, 
um, somewhat related, but I mean, the way we do things here at CollaboraLink is we're, we're basically looking for smart people. Yeah. And pedigree is not nearly as, uh, as critical. Yeah. So with 300 some odd people, would you still, because even when you introduced the company, right, you said we're a family-owned business. Yeah. You still maintain that, that part. It sounds like that's... Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we try to keep the... We try to keep that sort of family feel definitely alive and and uh, persistent through the way that we treat folks, the way that we um, talk to our teams. You know, that's that's definitely a core component of the culture here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, I think I noticed that when I walked in the door, actually, because they didn't. I, I don't know that they really knew who I was, and and they're like, "Well, all right, let's see what he needs." And you know, they were really nice to me, right? They were just yeah. like, "We're not really sure why you're here, but you seem like you know why you're here." And, um, <laughs> Well, let me show you where the coffee is. And it was just very, like, they were just very making me feel comfortable. And they're like, you can try this room and this room. And we ran right. around. We went around and, and found one. But I could just tell right away that, like, it wasn't, even though you're in a full floor, in a very nice building, very nice right. Class A office, which can be intimidating <laughs> sometimes when you walk in, very professional when you walk in. But the vibe from the people showed right through. So That's I wanted awesome. to make sure that I, 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 well, one, that I told you that. Yeah. Um, cause I think it's important for you I'm to know super that. pumped to hear that. And that, yeah. that's, uh, I mean, that's the vibe you got when there's only like six people in the office. Right. I've been very lucky to have such an amazing team uh, and staff and everyone really embraces that, that like, you know, you want to be somewhere, you want to go to work every day with people you like. Right. And people that are sort of nice to one another. And it doesn't want, it doesn't want to, I don't want it to feel stodgy or sort of like stiff collar, you know? It, it, so we've endeavored to, to make that the case so what what does CollaboraLink stand for what does that mean i think oh you, man you, the name this, oh yeah. my god <laughs> the name i get that question a lot actually and i always say oh my god because it's it's sort of a anticlimactic answer so we um we wanted to be collabora and and so uh there was no firm in 2003 that was called collabora the problem was there was a squatter who had bought collabora.com oh. the domain and so we contacted him, um, and he wanted something. And this was 2003. He wanted like 10,000 bucks. You know, 10 grand. I Now, in retrospect, oh, my God, I wish we'd bought the domain for 10 grand. That would have been a bargain by today's standards. Um, so we, we sort of looked at derivations of Calabra and, 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 you know, other names that incorporated Calabra. And so we landed on Calabra Link. Um, but, you know, there is meaning behind the name. And the meaning is... We're linking people together through technology for the purposes of collaboration. And that's what the, the stuff that we implement, the software that we implement typically, and the stuff that we build and modernize for our customers, our government customers, that's typically what it does. It's, it's this sort of modern interface through which work gets done and folks are linked together in performing that work. And, and, and so that's the, you know, that's the genesis of the name. So. Yeah. I wish I'd bought Collabra.com. Really? <laughs> Are you, so were you a technical person at any point in time with coding and PMP and all of that? Or, or are you more of a strategy person? And I guess the real question I have is, do you find it difficult sometimes to, to work with the technical people uh, if, if you yourself or not, or, or like, how did you make the shift if you are like, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the the way I've always portrayed that is I know enough to be dangerous. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, like, so, so the short answer is I was a, I was a sort of semi-technical back in, you know, post undergrad. I worked at Accenture for a handful of years. It was, um, it was called Anderson consulting back then. And I did these very rudimentary sort of, um, technical interface jobs. Like, you know, if, if I told my developer staff what I did, they'd laugh at me, but I was building, interfaces in a in a language called pl sql it's like the most basic easiest sort of type style of coding like dos back in the yeah day well it's it, not even that it's like archaic it was just pl sql is considered like you know like I, I don't know how you describe it it's it's basically the 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 dummies version of coding right i mean okay. you know so so the most most rudimentary sort of basic style of coding um i did that for like a year and a half. And then after that, I graduated into like team lead and, and project manager. Um, that gave me a general understanding of sort of technical development. 
and then immediately thereafter, I sort of moved into strategy and, and kind of more of a, yeah, big picture thinking kind of thing. Po- I did my MBA and then, like I mentioned, post-MBA. So, you know, the, the thing that I did as I embarked on this journey at CollaborLink was I sort of had to do an inventory of like, well, what am I good at? And how do I apply that at CollaborLink? And immediately what I was good at was not being a technical guy, right? It was not being a on-the-ground, hands-on, billable developer. I knew that for CollaborLink to be successful, I needed to sit in a seat where I was focusing on building business, meeting customers, trying to close deals, writing proposals, um, and then I had to hire smart people to actually do the work. Right. And so I really focused on that. I, and I did that inventory early on. Like, you know, as I, as I got started in the business, I sort of said, well, where am I going to best add value to this thing? Let me focus there and let me hire really good, smart, technical staff that can, under, that can then execute the work after I go out and, and get it. So this inventory... Did that just come to you like, hey, I need to do this? I do some personal inventories, right? Yeah. And and it's been a big part of my life over the last six years, right? I mean, we covered all the CollaborLink stuff. I want to get get to know you personally. Yeah, sure. Had that not been suggested for me, they said, hey, look, any business that doesn't take regular inventory will surely go broke. And and I was able to understand that, that like, you know, even myself, right? Yeah. Um, if I'm not looking at, over the last six years, I've become a very big personal accountability person, right? Sure. So if there's things going on in my life that I'm either dissatisfied with or that I'm happy with it's probably a direct result of some sort of actions that I've been taking right so how else would I know that if I don't just write them all down and put an inventory together and look at what's working what's not take out the bad you know keep the good improve what I call bad switch it out with something else that sort of thing but I had to be told that by another person yeah did you have a mentor like where did this come from you know, back then, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, you know, there was advice that I was given. I can't remember specifically from who to just sort of take stock of that strengths and weaknesses, you know. And, of course, you know, all of us, or not all of us, but, you know, a lot of us have gone through doing, like, Myers-Briggs sort of assessments and things like that. I think, you know, I, either that was advice that I'd been given, um, and I just can't recall from who, because I didn't have a specific mentor at the time. Or, you know, because I remember having done that even prior to business school as well. But I, I had to like, you know, I've had various points at which I've had to sort of like write those things down. And um, and it's been it's been somewhat of a theme in my life, I guess, where I'm I'm deliberate about that, about taking stock of sort of who I am, you know, my my strengths, the character traits that I have that I think I need to sort of um lean heavily on to, to build on. Um, but yeah, that, you know, so when I did that back in 2000 and, and, you know, eight timeframe, it was, well, I'm good at networking. I'm good at, you know, articulating myself, generally speaking, I guess this podcast will be a test of that. (laughs) I'm good at, um, closing business. I'm good at building relationships, you know, and I, so I wrote those things down and it just led me to, to this, you know, understanding of, okay, well, that's, that, that's the things I need to be doing at CollaborLink. And I need to farm everything else out, like finance, farm it out, right? (laughs) Invoicing, find somebody to do that. Payroll, get someone else. You know, that, that was very clear to me, uh, early on. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, I think it's just a, you know, a a quote unquote hygiene exercise. It's a good hygiene exercise for all of us to do that and to, to understand, you know, what we're good at. Now that's not to say that, I mean, I think there's a school of thought where people say, look, you, you also got to work on the things that you're not good at. Yeah. Right. And I think that there's value and truth in that, but I never over indexed on that. Like I never said, well, I'm terrible at spreadsheet modeling and therefore I'm going to just hammer on that for like two years. I mean, I needed to get to the point where I felt comfortable right. and familiar enough with it. Um, but I never over index on trying to turn my weaknesses into strengths. I, I sort of, and I don't know what the right answer is, but I sort of went the route of, well, let's just play to the strengths and see where that takes us. Yeah. Are you still keeping a, like some sort of journal or do you do regular inventories? And what about your personal life? Are you doing that for yourself as an individual outside of, I mean, you've got a, you've got a wife, you've got kids. I mean, there's, there's other people that you show up for in your life too. And I think that, you know if we're not doing that personal hygiene for everything we're doing, um, yeah. you know, we're not showing up as our best self everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I journal, I got my journal right here. Yeah. I was looking yeah. at that. I, um, 
Um, I've been doing that for a few years. I, I every year write down my goals. Um, I try to do sort of a mini end of year retrospective on what, what went, you know, what are some of the learnings or lessons learned from the, this past year and what do I want to apply going forward? So you're uh, almost taking like a, an annual inventory. So you're setting out goals, what, in January and then you're assessing yeah. how, that, how that went throughout the year in the following December. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm, I'm, um, I mean, you know, much like many of us, right. I, I sit down at the start of the year and I sort of like map out things that I want to accomplish over the upcoming year. Um, as part of that, and I, even before I sat down and write, set the goals out, I, I think back, I do, a, I do some reflection on, well, what happened this last year and what did I learn from that? And it's not necessarily like, well, how did I do versus my goals last year? It's not even right. that like, you know, I'm not connecting the dots necessarily even to that level of detail. I'm just think I'm just reflecting on the year broadly kind of, you know, hundred thousand foot view. Yeah. What, what, what came from that year? What did I learn? And, and what are some of the lessons learned? And I write those down as well. And maybe they play into my goals. Maybe they don't, but, um, you know, the, the, I think the point is more that you're, that I'm doing the reflection. I think that's the more important sort of, uh, exercise for me than whether it ties to a goal or doesn't tie to a goal or not. Right. Um, but yeah, I journal. I mean, I think journaling has been huge for me. I wish I was like a little bit more disciplined with it. Um, but yeah, it's been good thing to take up for me. It's been helpful spiritually and mentally and, and even from a focus perspective. Do you have a, a morning routine? A lot of leaders say that they either wake up at a certain time all the time, or even I've, I've gotten that they, they don't set a clock. They allow the body to wake up at any time. You know, some people work out in the morning, the evening, some people, you know, read what's, what's your mornings look like? What's your routine? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll share that with you. But one thing I wanted to, to tell you is there's this awesome quote that I, I found journaling is like windshield wipers for the mind. Mm. And, uh, I don't know. I, I just found that quote when I read it, like, Oh wow. Like that's kind of a cool sort of concept, right? If keeping I can, it clean. Yeah. Keeping it clean and sort of like helping to, uh, wipe away, wipe away the noise, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyhow, um, yeah, th- that that's uh, on journaling, but like, uh, yeah, my morning routine. So co- COVID has definitely thrown things well, I, I guess I can't even necessarily don't even need to frame this up from COVID, pre-COVID or not. Um, you know, this year I I took a transcendental meditation course, a TM course, mm-hmm. and their their framework is meditation twice a day for twenty minutes, once in the morning and once in the early evening. So my morning routine now consists of waking up and uh, and doing my morning meditation, <clears throat> and then I. I get the, my, either my wife or I get, get our three kids up and we start with morning hugs with each kid. Okay. Um, I've done this thing recently that's been really helpful and this is just a new thing for me, but every evening before going to bed, I stick my phone in a, in a drawer in the kitchen that I have like a little charging cord into. So I do not bring it upstairs with me and I'm trying to do this thing where I don't pick up my phone for the first hour and I can't Mm -hmm. claim credit. I mean, like I'm sure tons of people do this, but I I learned this from a guy named Ryan holiday, who's an author uh, and I've read a bunch of his books. So that's his morning routine. So I sort of adopted it and it's been awesome. Yeah. It's been amazing. I'm getting better sleep. I'm sort of, you know, not picking up my phone first thing in the morning and, and reviewing emails and not doing that has been amazing for my like sort of mood, my psyche not um, teaching the brain to go immediately to anxiety or things yeah. that you need to do or turn it on right away. It needs to start thinking. Yeah. yeah all that stuff sort of like spikes, you know, stress hormones. Yeah. You read the news today and like, you know, your, your stress levels just immediately go yeah. up. Right. So yeah. So I'm not touching my phone for the first hour. That's been huge. And then the meditation is definitely a massive change. And then like with the kids, we try to do, I don't, I don't know if you would call them affirmations, but I make them say the same thing every morning. We give them, we do morning hugs. They, they say, you know, based on us having done this for many years now, today's going to be a great day. I can, and I will. And I, each kid says that, and I should say it too. I think I say it probably 50% of the time, but I try to get them to, to start the day with positivity, with sort of a, you know, an affirmation that helps them understand that they could take on anything that day. And, you know, it's going to be a great day. 
Um, so we do that. And then, yeah, man, then it's on to like hustle bustle. You know, yeah. it's like get ready. I'm in the office today. So it was like quickly get <clears throat> get dressed. Um, you know, normal seasons, we'd be getting the kids out the door to school or onto the bus and, and then jumping in the car and heading to work. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's those are my mornings, though. Were you were you taught that as a kid too? Uh, the affirmations and the the I am statements. I mean, I, I'm I'm big on I am statements. I didn't realize until I was full on thirty one. I think yeah. that I am is probably one of the most powerful statements in the human language, right? Like I am what you qualify yourself to be. And and I've had a lot of experience of inserting some pretty negative things on the back end of that, right? <laughs> yeah. And and it can happen. It's like, oh, I'm such a piece of shit. Like whatever, <laughs> and, and, you know. But I didn't realize that I was doing that. And if you do that long enough and for long enough, um. The, the synapses get, you know, uh, yeah, they get wired that yeah, way. Neurons that fire yeah. together, wire together. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know that. No, I don't, I don't think my folks did that with us growing up. And, you know, it's funny you say I am statements. I mean, they're, they're saying today's going to be a great day. I can, and I will. So it's kind of an I am statement, but it's not, it's not, oh, you know what? I actually remember where I picked it up. So there was a there was a an Oscar ceremony or a I mean this is I I co-opted this I mean there there was an Oscar ceremony or an Emmys or something my wife and I were watching and there was a a young woman who got up there to accept an award and she was like all of twenty years old and she's sitting here accepting an Oscar I I think it was an Oscar and she turned to the camera at the very end and said Hey Dad this is for you today was a great day and I can and I did. And so I Googled that afterwards. I was like, what was she talking about? And and I found an article where she said that her father every morning had her and her siblings say, today's going to be a great day. I can and I will. And I read that and it just resonated for me. And yeah. I was like, man, that's that's powerful. And that's awesome. You know, and if I, if I can like sort of ingrain that in the kid's head and, and so much of life or so much of like these, um, not life, but so much of, of, I feel like memories for children are are sort of experience based or ritual based Mm -hmm. and so i find this to be a ritual right this is a ritual that we do every morning we give hugs we give we give each other good morning hugs and we we say today's going to be a great day i can and i will and so hopefully that ritual sticks and i don't know man maybe it'll do something positive for them i hope so i don't you know (laughs) it's it's there's a lot of people that i've read and i've said this before and i say this to a lot of people is that the and i don't have kids but i understand like from my own personal experiences that uh, you know the way we speak to children is becomes their internal voice. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, yeah. I think back to myself, all the things that I used to say to myself or hear about myself or things like that eventually became that internal voice for good or for bad. And, right. and we all have whatever we need to work with. Right. Right. Um, that growth is just a natural part of life. And, and I don't think I would go back and change anything about any of my experience. Cause I, I'm only where I'm at now because of all of those things. Yep. But that that's fantastic to be able to have that that morning routine um, with your kids and your family too, and and then also for yourself and and to to help them just kind of build that confidence that you know I can do something instead of finding all the ways that they can't right right or, or, or ha- yeah I mean the crazy thing about parenting is there's no fr- there's no playbook yeah <laughs> like all of us are are sort of like making it up as we go. But I, I mean, I know when I first had kids, I was like, I have no idea what to do, (laughs) you know, but then you figure it out and you sort of get into your own stride and your own rhythm. So like I said, I have no real evidence of this is going to tangibly change the arc of my kid's life or their personalities, but I hope that it will. And so, you know, that's, and for me, like I said, it's, it's this idea of ritual, and so, you know, it's, it's something that, and it also helps my mornings, frankly. I was going to ask. Giving like, my kids a hug every morning, it, it, it's, a, it's awesome. <laughs> how do you, it's a good this, start. even saying that yourself and, and doing that with your kids, how do you think that kind of helps you show up every day? I mean, starting them off in a, in a, in a great, great way, but, you know, your journaling and, and the windshield wipers, I mean, where, what do you think that that's really, where can you see that showing up in your day? Or, or like, especially on a day, like, let's say you miss it. Yeah. Right? You wake up a little late and you can't do all your stuff. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's, um, I hear from others that, you know, I've changed or that I'm sort of, um, uh, you know, bringing different energy to, to my relationships. And so I think it does show up in my day. I think it shows up in the energy that I bring and sort of the way that 
that energy will change the way I interact with people. Uh, and I think that that's been a marked change for me because, uh, you know, as, as I went through this collaboring journey, you know, there's so many ups and downs as an entrepreneur. There's so many sort of highs and so many lows. If you're riding that roller coaster and just feeling those highs and those lows to extreme, it can really affect your, your mood and the way you show up and the way that in the energy that you bring um, into a room or the energy that you bring to your relationships. And I think that doing these things is helping me to sort of bring better energy. And I'm really focused on that. I'm actually thinking about that. Like, how do I bring better energy to my relationships? Um, how do I bring better energy to my company? Uh, how do I bring better energy to my, you know, the rooms that I walk into? That's like a very sort of deliberate and, you know, um, uh, thing that I sort of think about. Um, and I think all of these, these things that we talked about, the morning routine, the meditation, the journaling, they all manifest in that energy basically. So I don't know, you'd have to ask somebody else that knows me, you know, like, that uh, knew you before you were, yeah. Like how do these things, um, you know, sort of change the way Rahul shows up. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's changing, man. I, I think so. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's I I can only speak for myself, right? I I know that the person I am today is a very different person from the person I was, say, prior to 2014 or so. Right, right, and it's been so. uh, Just my my entire outlook and attitude on life, just everything is is different, Um, and it's been an accumulation of these very small and sometimes seemingly insignificant little little things, right? Like maybe I so many different things. uh, it's, I started waking up around the same time every day thinking, all right, well, that's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of an accomplishment, but it did something, yeah. right? It, it set some sort of expectation and I take some quiet time out in the morning. I have a morning routine, yep. you know, as well. And, and having that time, I live alone, so it's always quiet time. <laughs> that's the thing. It, what, what's funny about it is there's something it's easy different. easy to get away. <laughs> yeah, there's something different about quiet time in the morning, because I think because everyone else is also quiet, right? Yeah. I live alone, but 2 o'clock in the afternoon, there's a bunch of people outside doing stuff. Right, right. A morning routine that is, so I, I generally work out in the morning. I started doing, um, I I mean, you're looking at me now. I was I was 242 pounds. Uh, oh, wow. At, um so not not very tall, not terribly tall, but uh, 242 pounds wearing a size 40 pants. You're uh, a big dude. Yeah, in in, in 2017. Um, so and I changed a lot about my own personal life uh, pretty significantly over the over the years, right? And just changed some habits and some things I was doing, and begrudgingly, and 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 just with help from other people. And uh, but throughout that process, I, I've had this this shift in thought process too. Right. right. It's, it started like with some of those taking those inventories. Right. Well, so you don't like things about what's going on. Like, right. what are you doing? It's. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to act on it. Right. Yeah. yeah and Actually. And, 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 and so like what you just described, I think what I'm recently sort of referring to as kind of like the Tom Brady method. I mean, this guy, if you if you listen to him, I mean, he's basically all about small tweaks over a long period of time effectively make for big change and huge strides, but you have to have the long view and you have to be willing to take the steps and, and that will, you know, it can have a change. It can have a impact on your arc of your personality, the arc of your life, the arc of your career, but it just takes these, you know, sort of micro decisions, these micro tweaks to be, to, to improve, to evolve, to get better uh, uh, as a person in various facets. Um, I mean, and that's what he's been all about for, for, you know, 20 plus years. Yeah. And I so admire that, you know, and like football aside, he's just a, a total badass. Yeah. You know, I mean, I agree. His discipline, his level of sort of commitment to excellence, commitment to evolution, commitment to growth. It's, it's unreal. So I, I, I read uh, Jocko Willick. Yeah. Jocko Willick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and he's big on, um, discipline equals freedom. And I think what I found was creating, and it, and it sometimes it seems rigid, right? Because I take these cold showers. I got that from Wim Hof. Oh yeah, Hof. yeah, the Ice uh, Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love him. <laughs> um, but like, it's, it's sometimes it's doing things that I don't want to do. But there's going to be moments throughout the day that pop up that I don't want to do something, 
it's not a reason to not do it. Right. Um, so I train that in the brain, right? I just take the action. Uh, going, tying it into our conversation, I didn't really make a lot of progress. I mean, I did, right? Because you will. If you're doing nothing and then you start doing something, you're going to make a lot of progress. <laughs> right. Because that by itself is already better. Um, or even if you just stop doing the bad stuff you're doing, you're just going to make progress without right. changing anything Organically, else. Organically, yeah. Yeah. But uh, counting macros, right? It gave me something yeah. tangible to do. It was an inventory, like we talked about on a couple different things here today. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, he, this is what I'm putting in. This is what that equates to in terms of calories and certain, you know, carbs, fats, and protein. Right. This is what I need to be doing. So if it, you know, if I want to have a good day, I need to hit these numbers. And if I don't, but yeah, yeah, big fan of Tom Brady. And just, but, but what I admire about him sounds like the same thing that you do is that he just, he's committed to doing something and he, and he's sticking with it. You're, you're also, you're a triathlon guy. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. do tries. Yeah. When did you start doing that? And, and you know, the real question. So now that we're talking about some of the, the performance based stuff and, mm-hmm. but with the triathlon stuff, one, how did you start doing that? Mm-hmm. Or when did that happen? And did you see a difference in the way that you showed up around people and operated throughout the day when you had to yeah. find time to work out and then it's a hard workout. Like, was there some, was, was something happening to you both physiologically, psychologically, mentally, spiritually? What I, cause I've, I, I've gotten that from a lot of triathletes that it's more than just let's go do this race. Yeah, for sure. I mean the, the onus behind that and actually just to touch on what you just described. I mean, I've found that I'm better I show up better professionally. I show up better personally. Well, I show up better professionally and as a as a father and a husband when I am challenging myself personally. To to you know to kind of touch on that point of like how did I show up differently? Most certainly, absolutely. I think it helped every facet of my life by doing these challenges. And so the onus behind it was probably like th- I think uh, four years ago now. There was basically, you know, I read a lot and I'm like following these podcasts and all these like sort of, you know, um, new age gurus, right? Jesse Itzler and and yeah. like some of these guys, right? And one of the one of the tenets that these guys espouse is, you know, put a challenge on the calendar every year, something that takes you out of your comfort zone. So I sort of like read that, and I, you know, and so I thought, well, look. You know, I could put a running, a, a like a half marathon or something like that on the or marathon on the on the schedule, but I can run. I know I can run. Like that's not going to be that. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Doing a marathon is challenging, but it wasn't going to put me that far out of my comfort zone. So that's how I picked a triathlon. I was like, well, look, I'm not a great swimmer. I haven't been on a bike since I was in junior high. Um, so the onus was, let me put something on the calendar that I can just, you know, mark as a challenge and then work my way towards it and not allow myself to like take it off the calendar. So yeah, that was about four years ago. And I did my first try. I started, I started, you know, small, I started with a sprint triathlon, you know, shorter distances. It's kind of like allowing yourself to, to baby step into it. And then, you know, I've made my way up. I've done an Olympic distance triathlon. You know, I got a buddy who's trying to convince me to get into the Ironman, half Ironman thing. I'm not sure yeah. <laughs> that I'm ready to, to commit to that. So, yeah, I mean, the tries are, it's this thing to kind of push me out of my comfort zone. It's, it's, it's an amazing escape, right? I love, sw- I found that I love swimming. I mean, I never knew that I'd love like getting in a pool and cranking out laps for 45 minutes, but I yeah. absolutely love it. I like look forward to it now. Um, I really enjoy getting on my bike. Um, and these are things that I wouldn't have done otherwise. So it definitely changed how I showed up because it, it exposed me to some, some things that I just, you know, otherwise wouldn't have been exposed to. And, and then, like I said, this, this like sort of personal challenge <clears throat> stretched me. And I think it, it made me show up in my professional life in a different way. It made me show up as a father and as a husband in a different way. Yeah. And now I got to figure out what that means. Like, what else can I, what else can I sort of put out there and put on the calendar? There's, there's obviously these physical challenges and athletic oriented challenges, but what else is, is out there? And I'm trying to wrap my head around that. And I I haven't necessarily figured it out yet, but I want, I want to evolve this. I want to, you know, uh, and and I just need to kind of think through what that might look like. In 2017, I did a, um, I did a couple things and, and I set out to just develop a new relationship with fear. I wanted to lean into fear, do something that scares me, and try right. to do that every year. And I think I got that either from Tony Robbins or Russell Brand, or I think we follow a lot of Rich Roll, like a lot of the yeah. same people. 
I don't know. It, it, it was something. It was yeah, something. for sure. I mean, I think that that's the, that, that's the crux of it, right? It's like basically fear, being out of your comfort zone, and exposing yourself to that, purposefully exposing yourself to that will create growth. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all that stuff sounds cliche, but I mean, it's legit. It's true, though. That's it why people works. are saying it. Yeah. It freaking works. That's why it all adds up. Yeah. Like whatever you're doing. Um, and, you know, you, so TM, talk to me. Like, how did you find that? Were you doing any meditation before you started doing that? Or yeah, what so led you there? Yeah, so I was, uh, I, I, you know, like everyone else probably, like, jumped on the apps, you know, headspace and, and, uh, I'd been doing that for a few years. Nothing really stuck. It didn't really like click for me. I was sort of inconsistent with it over a random conversation with one of my wife's friends. Um, she was mentioning to us that she had started TM and it was, you know, sort of really working for her. She was like really passionate about it. And I thought, maybe there's something there, you know, like maybe I ought to check it out. Right. And, and I didn't want to like, just, you know, be judgmental or sort of write it off. Um, so I thought maybe there's something there, like, let me go check it out. And so signed up for the introductory course, which they give you, you know, you go to like some library. I was at the, the library in Arlington on Quincy Boulevard and, and like in the basement in some small room, I was like, well, I'm just going to try it. I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. So they do this four day course and they teach you the, the, the methodology TM is basically a mantra-based medication, uh, meditation, not medication, <laughs> meditation, and uh, so you're 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 focusing on chanting a mantra in your in your mind, which for me really works because I could never do that thing where you just clear your mind. I can't ever get my mind clear. I can't get it to like completely go blank. Yeah. So being able to focus in on a phrase or a mantra that I'm just repeating sort of helped me get that focus and helped me hone in. Um, so it's been great. I mean, I mean, I'm, look, I'm still early stages, you know, what am I like nine months into this thing? Um, but I like it and it, it sort of clicks a little bit more for me than, than the other mindfulness stuff. And so, yeah, I'm going to go with it for now. Well, I guess, yeah, we're coming up to, uh, to time here. I just wanted to, uh, to thank you again. For, well, that went fast, man. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I, I've got time, I, I don't, <laughs> you know, um, but I just want to be respectful for your your schedule. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with us and yeah. and, and just sharing with us, right? A lot of great information in there. Um, good well, news. I love it, man. I'm I'm going to be a big uh, a big fan of this podcast. I'll I'll, uh, I'll market it through my own personal. Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders on Instagram at DC Local Leaders or our website dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you're a business leader and have questions on your lease and how it impacts your business's opportunities to grow or have questions about the market, you can reach Philip directly at philip.nathram at transwestern.com. He'd love to speak with you. Until next time.